Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. We're back with Brian Garber here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. In the pro game, you know, you are by yourself out there, and there is not a lot of coaching. Like the coach just can't walk down onto the court like at the U.S. Open. He can, right. you know, they have to. When you're in that situation, and let's say you're getting hung and you're getting beat, and you and you and you've lost, you know, a, a couple of points. Um, how do you pull yourself out of that? What do you do mentally for yourself? It's you have to go back to what, and especially in pro, there's a game plan in place. That game plan's there for a reason. And I find to be when people start to go through those moments that they've gotten away from what they were supposed to do, or gotten away from their own identity, and they fall into playing with somebody else. And and what you have to go back to, most of my players, I have them keep a composition book. I, I know that's old school, but the things that I'm good at, the reasons why I do certain things, when I'm in trouble, this is the serve that works for me. When I can't find this, this is what works for me. And you almost have those notes and, and they're written, but you know them in your brain, but it's a reminder, right? It's something in there. There's little things and and it's all player dependent, but usually the players, when things go wrong, it's always the same things, right? Um, it's rarely a new thing that comes in. Oh, I can't make this shot today. No, it's usually under pressure, the same ones that get to you and you're down and out. And it's the simple saying one point at a time, right? Um, I can't, I can't get back four games at once. I got to grind. And the love, the, the awesome thing about tennis is we split it up into two sets, right? So if you lose one set, it's not the end of the world. You basically get a fresh start to go again. And we're constantly just going at what I'm good at. What are my skills? What are the things that I'm good at? When things go wrong, what are they? And this is how I approach it, right? So it's uh, almost like being prepared for things to go wrong. That's that's a big part of our job and a big part of what we do is instead of just preparing to play awesome and play great, understanding the reality is most of the time that's not going to be the way it is. So you kind of expect the adversity so you're already prepared mentally and physically for when it comes. So when you're playing a match or before a match, actually, and you sit down with your players that you coach now, um, and your coach probably did this in college, did you have a game plan and the strategy like every other sport out there? You know, 100%. Just, you, you, you have to do this. This is what we know about this. And this is how you, you get in this situation. Here's what I think you should do. And here's what you need to do. And here's what you need to focus on. Yep. Would you guys break that down? Yeah, it's... Um... I mean, now the day and age with the analytics, like we, Oh, I know it's, when, it's, when I have, it's insane. And, and knowing, knowing how to venture like get through those is a really important thing too. Cause I find a lot of guys that put too much emphasis on them without using their eyes to watch. Right. It's, it's a perfect balance between the two. But when, when we have a player that goes to play on a big stage or like a, somebody in pro tennis, we know everything about the person that they're playing. We know when they feel pressure. We know what they do when they feel pressure. We know on a 30 all or a deuce point where that serve is going to go 80% of the time. So all those bases are covered. And kind of the, the, the tricky part for a coach is to not over-inform, if that makes sense. Yep, I know. The, the information too much information ahead. For sure. My, my first stint on tour coaching, I, I made that mistake early, and I haven't made it since. I, I prepared – my players so much to play the other one that I forgot that they had to play themselves. And that's there. No, but there's a fine line and it's like, Hey, this is where she struggles or he struggles, but we still have to do what we're good at in order to exploit that. 
And if you don't prepare and work on the things to exploit that, then I can't ask my player to do it, right? So it's it all goes back to that preparation. Like if we prepare the right way and I give you a simple game plan that fits your style, we should be able to execute that. But yeah, we things are pretty determined on basically everything from where you're going to serve on each side, on which points and what pattern you want to get into. If it's not your pattern, how do you get out of that pattern to get into the one that you want? It's, it's, we try to give that information to players in such a simple form, but it's very complex for us. Like we, we have 15 pages of notes to get out three lines that we want them to really hammer. Right. So it's, it's finding a way to cram those things in to make a very simple game plan. That's not simple. If that makes sense. So you finish up at BC and you graduate. I think mom and dad are probably very proud that you graduated from Boston College. It was probably a great moment in their lives to have somebody come from BC. Did you think about hitting the tour as a pro? Or was it just you were like, ah, you know what? Or, or are you more interested in going into the coaching aspect of it? So I, I had a couple of wrist injuries, which in tennis are kind of a killer. Um, I had a kind of started my sophomore year and grew and grew and grew. And by my senior year, I was in a cast for the entire fall to keep the swelling down. Basically, I had a week of prep and just went straight into playing for the spring. as my last hurrah, I got to do it. So what ended up happening a lot of that junior and senior year is I was around every day. And tennis isn't one of those sports where football, where you're sitting on the sideline on the bike. It's you're doing your own fitness with the fitness coaches and that kind of thing. But I was always present in practice. And I found that I was actually a bigger help to my team as a coach than I was as a player at that point where I jumped in and I was playing doubles only my junior and senior year. And I was, I was the player coach that coached in the singles. So I, I kind of like to think that I got a head start on a lot of guys and, and guys on my team trusted my knowledge and where it was coming from. So I was like, okay, this is something BC, all my friends were getting jobs in finance at the big banks and doing all that thing. And I was like, you know, like I've, I've always been okay being different. And maybe this is a path for me. This is something that I think I can be good at. I, I, don't think I would have ever gotten into coaching if it wasn't something clearly, you know, my family history with my grandfather and my dad. So it was one of those things where it's in the family and, and it's something I'm comfortable with, but it's also something that I can feel satisfaction from where I'm going to make mistakes, learn from them. I'm going to get better. I'm going to keep going. And, and people seem to respond well to what I said to them. So I said, you know what, let's give it a go. Difference between being a player and a coach, in your opinion, everyone has a different take on this, but when you became a coach, what were some of the things you, know, you didn't know about? And, and I'm going to preface this by saying that, you know, your grandfather was the trainer to the Milwaukee Bucks in the era of, you know, uh, Oscar Robinson and, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, and had a lot of knowledge into how to work with professional athletes. And your father also played hockey at Providence College, you know, worked was with Lou Lamarillo as a coach. So you had a lot of, you know, great, as you said, it's in your family DNA to become a coach. But transitioning from a player to a coach is a very, very um, unique thing. Sometimes younger guys can't separate that. There is that fine line where you have to be, you know, you can be friendly to a player but you can't be his best friend because sometimes you're going to have to give him your honest opinion on something and he's not, or she's not going to really like what you say. It's um, I had, I definitely had a hard time with that. My, my first year out of school, I was a volunteer assistant at BC, but I took that job seriously. And I was working at a local club in Boston and in, in Weymouth mass. And 
what I found the most difficult that year was a lot of the guys that I was being asked to coach and help were guys that were some of my best friends that I played with. And drawing the line, I tried my best, but I didn't, I don't think I did a great job at that time. That was a big learning experience. And I said, hey, if I want to do this and coach in the college game, I got to get away and go somewhere different where I don't know the people where I can fresh start and come in and not have to tote the line so much. And being an assistant coach, you know, in, in all college sports, you are kind of that middle to the head coach for the players. So it is, you have a friendly relationship with guys. You learn a lot about them and you become friendly with them. But I had a hard time at my own school drawing that line. But when I got to a different one, I, I didn't find it as difficult. What did your dad say to you about coaching? You know, your dad was a very successful coach and your, and your grandfather was, was an amazing guy, won an NBA championship. I mean, you know, and, and your dad won you know, a championship as well, coaching. Um, you know, what were they able to, to, to give to you knowledge-wise about coaching and working with athletes? I think really, I, when, when I was reading over this stuff and these questions, it was one of those things that like, I think it was less what was said and more what I watched, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, from the time I was a kid, I traveled with my dad on road trips all the time. I was in that locker room. 24 hours a day. It was my life. And I would watch him go into a locker room after a loss and hammer one guy, tell him everything he did wrong and how he messed up and where he needed to be better. And I would watch him go pat another guy in the back and tell him he did a great job. And as a kid, those things kind of subconsciously get into you. It's like, okay, each guy's buttons need to be pushed differently. It's not one size fits all in coaching. And I think that my sport, there's too many coaches that are one size fits all. So I feel like I differentiate myself there where I learned from the time I was five years old, being around a locker room, how each guy or girl has to be treated differently. Each one is what makes them tick is different from the next. And, and I just watched that my whole life with my pops, um, my granddad as well, the way that they treated people was one of the biggest things that I took from them. And, and I would say, all the skills that I learned, I find myself, I laugh all the time. I'm doing so many things similar to my dad that he never told me to do. It was just things that I learned and subconsciously took in. Difference between coaching a team sport and individuals. What's the difference that I like other people wouldn't understand? Accountability is harder to accountability and responsibility are harder to put on somebody's shoulders, if that makes sense. Um, I feel like with the team, I always learned from Lou Lamarillo, the upside down pyramid, right? Where if your hardest workers were at the top, the middle would go towards it. So you want the pyramid to be upside down. And the other way was when you had, like you could get a group to come for a common goal. And in my sport, it's difficult because we work, I can get fired any day, right? And that's a reality like any team sport coach, but a lot of people in my profession find it hard to hold players accountable without getting fired. And, and that's a difficult thing. So kind of losing the fear of being fired is one of the biggest things individually that I think is really important because then you'll go out and do the best thing for that player and that person. Um, and I think also it's, it's, it's more all encompassing in an individual sport. You basically create your own team, right? And it's important. These players are on the road by themselves three, four weeks at a time before ever getting home, hotel bed, basically the whole year. Time zone change, this, that, constant, have to perform at your best. So you have to put like a support group around, whoever the fitness coach is, with myself, with the parents or the siblings, like you basically create your own team. And 
that's something that's huge and you have to get everybody in that small team to be worried about the little details. Individual sports, I think we miss the little details so much, the things that matter, being on time, having your equipment, these little things that we don't, in, in my sport, I was never really told those things growing up. Those are things I knew from my father. And I knew from playing in a team in basketball, and baseball, the, the accountability part of it. So the onus is more on the coach, I think, to teach that accountability because most of these single sport athletes never were a part of a team where those things were required. Difference between coaching men and women. What are the everything. differences? <laughs> everything. <laughs> um, everything. I found myself somehow in the women's side of the sport, and I never imagined that that would be something I enjoyed when I first got into it. And as the years have progressed, that's kind of where I've carved out my path. And I find girls to be a little more rewarding to work with, where they're pleasers, where they want to do well for you. Um, also, I have a little bit. My sports, like every sport, the better player you were, the easier it is to get the higher jobs, right? And I was an average player, a Division One college player, so above average, but in the scheme of pro tennis, I, I was an average guy. Girls tend to question less what your playing abilities were. Um, guys, it's more they tend to go to a guy who used to be a pro or used to be this, and they're, how well do you play? How well do you hit? That matters a lot more to the guys, whereas the girls are like, if you have information that's good, bring it to me, and I, I'll try to use that. And then and please you. And, and I find a little more rewarding. Also the get the game itself is couldn't be more different. Um, the patterns that you want to do, the things that are important, whereas guys is a serving man's game, serve, serve in the next ball, whereas girls is more of a returning. Game. So it's, it's the things you focus on, the things that are important are so different where if I was given a guy's pro right now, I would have to give myself a couple of weeks to really dive into what the patterns are that we need. What are the things that are working on the men's sport? Because I'm so focused in on the women's. It's it's almost like a different sport, even though the, the common person turns on the TV and it looks the same. That was segment two with Brian Garber here on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. Stay tuned for segment three. Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. 